We live in constantly changing times. In fact, it's almost a cliche to say so, isn't it? You know, whatever we get used to, it will soon change. Whether it's uh, the photo on the fridge that I have next door of of my daughter that was taken at Ardingly uh, Ardingly Showground at some point after we'd moved here. And she's so much bigger. She just looks so young in that photo. But now a few years have passed and she's a bit older. The things that we get used to seeing and doing, how we sing new songs, they soon become older. We soon get used to them. They soon settle into our consciousness. And the materials that we use in everyday life. This week, um, there was mention that... uh, John Lewis were going to stop selling normal DVD players because they're just old hat now. But yeah, I can remember them being on Tomorrow's World when they were the new thing that was coming. You know, things change. And and, uh, there was a program on, on, on BBC4 this week that was talking about new materials new ways of doing uh, hip replacements not just using titanium but powdered titanium made into a special way so that it bonded to the bone better and then they showed a a golden retriever that had such a hip replacement or such a uh, a thing that had worked new ways of doing things fire retardant material made out of mushrooms you know, I don't think you take all your mushrooms from next door at Paul's and do some building work with them. But new ways. But yet, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, we discover that there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that has been done will happen again. While things change, things stay the same. The advances come and they cease to be new. They're replaced with something else. And the writer of wisdom was not talking of technological advances or how people grow up. It was talking about human behaviour. How we make decisions in our life are always the same. Humanity tends to choose what is best for itself. It has always been the case under the sun that we are tempted to sin and might often yield to that temptation. Left to our own devices, we are doomed is the thought of the writer of Ecclesiastes. And that's a thought that the prophet Isaiah quite often projected. That there's challenges and that the people are doomed. But here in chapter 25, he talks of hope, of newness, of change. God will do something new. 
And the thing, the thought of the changes that God makes turns Isaiah's heart to praise. He sings of the coming kingdom. He praises continually. He is someone who rejoices in the perfect faithfulness that our God is. Because God is continually doing what is good and right. The hope of Isaiah, the hope that he has in God in this passage is nothing new. It's something that has always been there. The plans have been long in the making, we are told. It's been set out for a long time that something good is happening. Something good by God. God has always wanted a joyful fullness of life and in the entire content of the Bible from Eden through the covenant with Abraham through the exodus to the exile to the coming of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross is all about God wanting humankind to be in relationship with him The Levitical laws directed how the widow and the orphan were to be treated. How the poor could harvest at the edge of the field the things that were left behind. And so we should not be surprised at what is referenced as the destruction of the city. It's a reference to an unjust people. And when we see... That the towns are in ruins. We see that people will be rejoicing God. Because they understand God's power and his purpose. And his love for all humanity. The protection of the poor. Against the breath of the ruthless. And this is what we see when we see the coming of the kingdom. The heavenly banquet with rich food and finest wine is a feast for all people. All people, whatever their wealth, whatever their parentage, Whatever race or language, whatever their experience of life to date, they are welcome at the feast on the mountain. They are welcomed into the presence of God. The presence was experienced by Moses at Horeb when he saw the burning bush and when he later received the commandments. It's the presence on the mountain experienced by Elijah as he hid in the mountain cave, the the passage that we'll be thinking of tonight at something different. It's the presence 
which leads Jesus up the mountain and we get the transfiguration as he prepares for what is ahead. As we come to the mountain, God will give to each one of us his presence. And so I want us to think a little bit about a trip up a mountain. About presenting ourselves to God, the Holy One. And there's actually three bits that I'm going to bring you about going to a mountain. And the first is that going to the top of a mountain can be a bit challenging. There is nothing that says travelling on the way of God, travelling to be with God is easy. Jesus in Matthew 7 talks about it being a, a small gate and a narrow road. It's a way that we're invited to travel, but it's a challenging route. We might get a bit out of breath at times. We might struggle. We might slip over. An earthly life is perhaps much easier. It's perhaps much easier to live on the broad way. But it doesn't take you where you need to be. Motorway constructors go round the hill or dig a tunnel through it. I remember uh, I was living in Hampshire at the time they were building that bit at the bottom of the M3 where they carved their way through the chalk downs. It was a lot of building work that they did. It was roadworks for months and months and months. That was a hard thing. But they were determined to not go over the top. Because that would have been harder. Only a tiny footpath goes up the mountain. But it's a tiny footpath that leads to God. That goes God's way. That brings you close to him. So the first part of the mountains is to walk the path, to live the life that God calls you to. It'll be challenging, not easy, but he calls you to live his way. My second mountain point is that It might be challenging, but when you get there, it's a great experience. People climb mountains not simply because they want the physical effort or because they're maybe a bit nuts, but they do it to experience something few others do to have the elation of arrival 
as they take in the most wonderful view, as they have that accomplishment and that heart-stopping moment of arriving there and being where maybe not so many others have stood. So come to God. Walk the narrow way. And delight in his presence at the top. Share in that feast. Now, sharing in the feast does not mean simply taking your plate and piling it high. You know, that might give you a feast, but is that really the feast? Might fill your tum, but does it fill your soul? God longs for you to be in his presence, but he has invited other people too. On the journey up the mountain, you tend to engage with those that are also on the walk, don't you? You meet the fellow travellers, people that you've not seen before, you become sociable with. You share in the common experience. And this is it at the banquet. We are at a common banquet with many invited. So you say hello to those around you. I mean, it's a bit like if you went to a party and you just stood in the corner and didn't speak to anybody, would you actually be at the party? Would you actually enjoy yourself? Some might. I'm not very sociable. I'd be quite happy like that. But now, that's not a party really, is it? You want to have fun and games and engage with the other people that are there. And that's it at the heavenly banquet. He invites us to be there, to pass the bowl of veg to the person next to you. To tell them of what a feast you have had. How God has fed you. How it is more than basic nourishment that just keeps you alive. But fills your being. It's a richness of food. It tells you it's the finest of wine. It's a delight to be there. And they will say, surely this is our God. In verse 9, the people are giving testimony to each other of who God is and what he has done. The Christian life is not about being alone in your relationship with God. It's about being in fellowship with one another too. Enjoy the feast by encouraging each other in their faith as fellow banquet sharers. Enjoy being on the top of the mountain by engaging with them. And what's more, as we enjoy the feast that is unoffered, the text tells us 
that God is going to swallow something up. Not the food that he's prepared for everybody. He's going to swallow up death. When something's swallowed, it means that it's not going to return. That's it, it's eaten. It's gone from the mouth even. Andre, if you cast your, uh, if you can cast your minds back, there used to be a TV advert um, for Jaffa Cakes where there was a teacher with a small number of pupils right, that were quite young. And the teacher took the Jaffa Cake and said, Full moon? Took a bite. Half moon? Shoved it in. Total eclipse. Right? It went. And then she repeated it. And the children sat there not very happy because obviously she was going to work her way through the whole packet of Jaffa cakes. And they were not going to get them. When something's swallowed, it's gone. It's not there anymore. God is going to swallow up death. He's got to take it away. It's not there anymore. When he swallows that, we can have much rejoicing. Enjoy the feast. The third point about this mountain. You may well remember from your youth a little song about a bear going over the mountain. The bear goes over the mountain. The bear goes over the mountain. The bear goes over the mountain to see what he can see. And what does he say? The other side of the mountain. We've got to the mountain. We've had our feast. But we actually have to come down. We have to come back down into the world. We've taken in the feast. We have to remember that the journey continues. And the trip back down the mountain is quite different. It takes a lot less physical energy. Our legs will be quite as tired, even though it's the second half of the walk. But we're coming down. And as we're coming down back into the world, we, we have a radiance. A spiritual indwelling from our experience. I was trying to think of a different word for that, but I couldn't get anything. But, but the Spirit comes into us and equips us for the journey ahead and gives us joy and fills us with life. And we come down the mountain. But the world we return to is not one that's seen the view. It's not one 
that shared the meal. It's the one that has not encountered God. In the passage we hear of the Moabites who will be trampled. And they're symbolic of those who didn't take the little narrow footpath. But stayed on the the motorway of earthly life. The road to hell. And it's clear in the earlier chapters of Isaiah, the Moabites have had the opportunity to change direction. But they chose not to. Today it's not yet time for the final banquet. And that means it's not yet time for their ultimate destruction. There's still a chance that others might change their mind and decide to go along the narrow path. That they will journey with you. Perhaps from the feast, that spiritual indwelling has given you something of a little doggy bag. That's something that you can share. Something that you can say, taste and see, the Lord is good. That you can encourage your friends and your family. You can encourage the person in the shop next door. You can encourage all that you encounter. And say, you know, God loves you. He loves you. It's not always easy to do that. But the delight when someone hears it and chooses is immense. But it's not just speaking, is it? We have to go a little further. Because we've heard in the passage that God gives a refuge for the poor for the needy he comes to those in distress he protects those that are attacked by the words of those who are ruthless The breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall. The words of the oppressor can be terrifying. We need to challenge ourselves about how we use our time, our effort, all our resources in doing God's work. In being his people. In seeing something of this kingdom coming now. I started my talk by 
um, thinking of how change happens. And mentioning that there are new materials, fascinating things that might change how we live, how we build things, or they might not. However proud we are of human achievement, whatever new discovery or wealth we have found or made, however great and valuable our property may be, in the end, God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. That's the word of the prophet speaking about Moab. Let us delight in God as we journey to the mountain. Let us praise and encourage each other as we enjoy all he gives. Let us share in the world how he provides a refuge for the poor and needy. Let us act as the people of God and journey with him.